Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 28, how to be brilliant at a moment's notice. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. My guest today is Todd Henry, the founder and CEO of Accidental Creative, where he helps creatives and teams be prolific, brilliant, and healthy. Todd Henry, welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast. Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here. Now, you are a consultant and a mentor and a speaker and an author, but what's the original story behind the accidental creative? What what kind of actual creative experience do you have? <laughs> Is this a job interview? <laughs> I thought that's in my resume. Uh, um, yeah, so so my background is is long and winding. I studied marketing in school. That's as far back as we'll go. I studied marketing in college, and uh, like any good marketing major, right out of school, I did my tour of duty in the music business, <laughs> and uh, actually on on both the performing and and then um, had some experience on the on the business side as well, um, sort of an, in an entrepreneurial way in the music business, and. Um, you know, I, I right around I guess the year 2000, um, I met my wife, uh, and she well she wasn't my wife yet, but uh, she convinced me that you know music business, gainful employment, and marrying an amazing <laughs> woman you can have two of these three, but you can't have all three at the same time, right? So I chose marrying an amazing woman and gainful employment. So uh, I became <laughs> uh, actually got into the creative services industry is really kind of by accident. So I am, in, in fact, an accidental creative, although I guess being in the music business is creative as well. But uh, became uh, worked my way into a role of uh, creative director for, uh, for a nonprofit. And over the course of time, as I was engaging with creative directors, and, and I'm, I'm based in Cincinnati, Ohio, so um, you know, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't, who aren't familiar with Cincinnati don't know that there's actually a pretty significant design and branding and marketing presence here because we have several major companies based out of Cincinnati, like Procter & Gamble and Macy's and um, you know, several uh, companies of that caliber that kind of demand a design and creative presence here from the marketing industry. And so I was regularly reaching out to other creative directors in town and saying, hey, you know, how are you keeping your teams engaged? How are you keeping them focused on the right things and helping them stay healthy as they're creating and do their best work? And they would just look at me like I was crazy. They would say, Hmm. what do you mean keep them healthy? What do you mean help them do their best work? We just burn through a burn through them and bring in a fresh crop right next year because there's always somebody waiting to take over those those jobs and i mean it wasn't really quite that overt but that was the general mindset was you know look we have just resigned ourselves to the fact that it's impossible to be healthy in the creative services industry and i thought that does not sound right to me that doesn't seem right you know because i was trying some things they seemed to be working so i wanted to start a conversation about what it was like to be a creative professional because I found Jesse that there were a lot of conversations about innovation right mm-hmm. and the systems and mechanisms of innovation and there are a lot of conversations happening about wild and wacky and crazy ways that you could be creative you know let's shoot nerf guns and run around you know those kinds of things but there wasn't really much in that space in between about what does it feel like to have to go to work every day and turn your thoughts into value and 
I thought there needs to be something in that space, at least a conversation. So, you know, in 2005, I started a podcast called The Accidental Creative. And the whole point of the podcast was just to start talking about some of these things that I was noticing and seeing related to the create on demand world. And to be frank, I put out a couple of episodes of the podcast. There was no business model. I had no plan whatsoever of, you know, launching a business, doing a consultancy, anything. And I kind of walked away from the podcast after a couple of episodes because, you know, I had a lot going on. And I came back a few months later and I was surfing for business podcasts to listen to. And there was one called The Accidental Creative that was one of the top business podcasts on <laughs> iTunes. I know where this and is going. And my first thought, Jesse, when I saw that was, oh no, I stole someone else's name. I can't believe I first, right? But it was my podcast. And there were thousands of people listening to this podcast all, all you know, out of the blue, just mm-hmm. like right out of the gate. And so I thought, okay, wait, I think I've stepped into something here that I was unaware of. I think there's something going on here. So I, I put more of a formal structure around those conversations and, and a website and created a place for people to start conversing about some of these issues related to how to go to work and be creative every day. And over time, it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And pretty soon, people started inviting me to come and uh, help their company generate ideas and do idea sessions. And then over time, that really turned into people inviting me to come and just, can you just come and talk to us about some of these things you talk about, right, on the podcast? And that really has been what I've been doing full time now for for, uh, quite a while. Um, And then that led to in 2000. Nine, the opportunity to, um, to to work on a book project, which was published then in 2011 as The Accidental Creative. And um, now I'm working on a second book that comes out later this year as well. So that's kind of the long and winding story. I, I really am an accidental consultant. I had no intention of doing it, but I just found there's a real need here and stepped into it. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to get to travel all over the, the, the world and interact with lots of great people and help them engage more fully in what they do. Wow, that's a great story. You're using the word creative as a noun, which is going to sound familiar to some of our listeners, but not others. Can can you help us understand what you mean by that? Yeah, and you know, that's a fairly recent occurrence that the word creative has become a noun. People are being called creatives. And um, what I mean by that is anyone who has to go to work every day and the, the primary function of their job is to turn their thoughts into value. So, That could be somebody we would think of as a creative, like a designer who has to come up with new solutions to visual problems and and put those solutions into some form that is consumable. It could also be a manager who comes to work and has to uh, look at the problems in the marketplace or identify a white space in the market or something of that nature and, and develop some kind of strategy to help solve that problem. They're also being creative because they're problem solving. They're a creative, even if they're an accidental creative, right? They didn't intend to be a creative Mm -hmm. and yet they're primarily paid for their ability to problem find, not just problem solve, but problem find and then develop solutions to the problems that they find. And, you know, with that comes a unique set of pressures that we're not often uh, equipped to deal with. Even if you've never heard of the term creative as a noun, you can get your head around, okay, we're talking designers and writers and artists and uh, those sorts. And then, But then there's all these sort of non-traditional creatives that you, they may not think of themselves right. that way, leaders and managers and, and consultants, I suppose, and, uh, and they, they may not have thought of themselves that way. And I remember seeing your podcast, because it's long been way, very high in the ratings, 
and was always intrigued by the title, but I always had other priorities. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a consultant for many years and just always was thinking I should listen to this business podcast or that leadership or that strategy podcast. And it was about two years ago that I finally realized, boy, I spend a lot of my time being creative and my clients view hmm. me as creative and I lead a team and we really are a bunch of creatives. And so I think I can, I can learn from this Todd Henry guy. It was a different way of thinking about my role. You know, it's, fu- it's so funny you say that because I spend as much of my time with people who are in the financial industry, people who are in procurement, people who are in um, you know, roles that you would never think of as typical creative roles. I mean, my, my, I think my wife thinks that I mostly spend time with, you know, creative agencies mm-hmm. and I do spend a, a significant amount of time with people who are in the traditional creative services industry, of course, because that's kind of been my focus. But I spend a ton of time with people you would never consider to be creatives. And yet they are dealing with these same pressures of we have to go to work and we have to come up with ideas. And we have to come up with solutions and we have to do more with less, which is, I think, the, the biggest pressure that most of us feel is that we, we, we have to continue to crank out ideas and solutions and execute those ideas, but we have to do it with fewer and fewer resources and fewer people are on the, on the payroll. And so uh, I think more and more, people are realizing, wow, this really is something I'm accountable for, this this idea generation thing. And I think you're the first person I ever heard use the term create on demand as a description of that workplace dynamic that really, I think, captures it so well. It's You, you think it's fun being creative, but when, it, when you say, but you have to be able to create on demand, as you said, that brings a whole bunch of pressures with it. Oh, it absolutely does. And Again, we're we're ill-equipped to deal with that because we have to, you know, the creative process is the pursuit of possibility, right? It's 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 venturing out into uncomfortable places and and doing things that may not have an immediate payoff. So whenever I engage in the creative process, I don't know for sure there's going to be a direct one-to-one reward for my effort at the end of the day. I may not come up with a great idea or I may come up with an idea that yields five years worth of value for my company. I don't know at the beginning of the process. And so there's always this question of possibilities versus pragmatics, which is I, I want to pursue the possible. I want to continue to venture into those uncomfortable places and try to come up with better and better ideas. But I have limited time, limited budget. My manager's breathing down my neck. I know my client's expecting something from me on Thursday. And so we're constantly reeled back by these pragmatics. And it's the, the create-on-demand dynamic is a constant juggling act between possibilities and pragmatics, possibilities and pragmatics. And that's why when I really counsel people who have to deal with these pressures every day, I always tell them, you have to take ownership of your creative process and you have to build structure into your life to allow you to pursue those possibilities, sometimes even outside of your work hours, right? Because if it makes you more effective and more efficient in your work hours, it's absolutely worth it. But sometimes there are things you can do even within the context of your work that will make you more effective when you have to have a great idea. And the way I would describe this is if you want to be brilliant at a moment's notice, which is the, the, the tagline of the, of the book, by the way, how to be brilliant at a moment's notice. If you want to be brilliant at a moment's notice, you have to begin far upstream from the moment you need a brilliant idea. And the way you do that is by building practices into your life to prepare you for those moments. That seems like such a paradox. You, ha- you need to be brilliant at a moment's notice, but you actually need to start far upstream from the moment that you need to be brilliant. 
it, it is a paradox in a way, but it's it's also very much, I mean, it's the way that things work. I mean, if you observe nature, you know, you, you can't be in perpetual harvest mode. And I think many of us in the workplace are in perpetual harvest mode. We're constantly trying to harvest the land. We've stripped the land bare of all of its nutrients because we haven't taken time to plant seeds, to cultivate the soil, to really take care of the crops so that in the fall we have a harvest. And I think instead, for many of us, the expectation is, well, we just go out and we plug an ear of corn off, you know, whenever we need it. But pretty soon we run out of corn and then we're left scraping the ground trying to find the stuff that fell off, you know, the stalks and, and is all dried up and shriveled. But at least it's a it's an ear of corn, right? Um, but we're not taking the time to stop, to plant, to cultivate so that we have a harvest later. And that, that's just the way it works. We're not machines, Jesse. We're not wired to function like machines. We have to obey the natural rhythms of our biology if we want to be successful. Well, when you talk about structure, first of all, that sounds counterintuitive to being a creative. It sounds like you want me to, to force me into a certain formula. So what's the difference, I guess, between a, a structure and a formula? Yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between a structure and a formula. So a formula is something where if you put in variables on one end, you're going to get a predictable return on the other end. And that is that it's, it's a very machine-like. A formula is machine-like. It's a linear progression. Structure is designed to provide a framework for thought, but it doesn't tell you what to think. And it doesn't provide, on the other side, it doesn't provide a predictable result. You might get... 10x what you put in, right, on the other side. There could be a multiplier there. And, you know, the, I think a lot, what, what structure does for you is it eliminates the unnecessary variables in your life so that you can focus on the variables of your work. And this is, this is important, this is an important concept because a lot of people, their, their life, their, their organizations, their business is in such chaos all the time. There are so many moving parts, so much unpredictability that they can't really adequately focus on the chaos and the uncertainty and the unpredictability of their work because they're constantly just trying to find their bearing. So if you can drill down the structure of your work, how you structure your life and have some predictability around that, that allows you then to have the freedom to go crazy, go wild and explore that uncertainty in the midst of your work uh, without, without being overwhelmed. Does that make sense? It does. A formula might take away a lot of your freedom, but a structure is actually going to give you more freedom. My dad one day talked about how he, he was out fishing all day and they with a with a friend and they were fishing on both sides of the boat one one guy was on one side of the boat my dad was on the other side of the boat and they were perch fishing on lake erie and and when you're perch fishing your expectation is these are small fish but we're just catching them every other minute so you're just re, just reeling them in left and right and the guy on the other side of the boat was doing exactly that, reeling them in left and right. My dad was getting nothing. <laughs> so the guy says, well, let's switch sides. And my dad said, well, that wouldn't make any difference at all. We're out here in the middle of this big lake. So he resisted. An hour goes by and it's the same story. So finally, even knowing it shouldn't make any difference, they switch sides. And now my dad starts bringing, flipping fish in left and right. And hmm. they, they think, now how could that be? And they investigated a little bit and realized that the anchor line was on that side of the boat where they were catching all the fish. And the, just having a structure there attracted these fish. They've got the whole 
lake to swim around in, but there's something attractive to a perch that structure provides. So they have freedom, but they actually get more life and more viability somehow out of being there. Now, in the book, your structure is, you use the acronym FRESH, F-R-E-S-H, focus, right. relationships, energy, stimuli, and hours. And of course, you've got a whole book on this topic, and we won't be able to go uh, all through that uh, today. But the, this topic, this first one on focus is pretty fascinating. What do, what do you mean by that? And why is that important? Well, it's important because it's impossible to solve a problem you haven't defined. And yet many people drift through their days from day to day without really stopping to ask the question, what am I really trying to do here? What problems am I really trying to solve? You know, instead, they try to solve concepts. They're handed projects by their manager or uh, initiatives by their organization And they start running in the direction of those objectives, but they never stop to ask themselves, okay, is the way that this is worded or is the way that this was handed to me really the problem we're trying to solve? Or is there something else that we need to be doing here? You know, I mentioned earlier the importance of problem finding versus problem solving. And there's a, a critical distinction there. Sometimes the problem that you think you're trying to solve isn't really the problem you need to be solving in order to be effective. So when I say focus, what I mean is being willing and able on a regular basis to step back and define your work in such a way that your mind can do what it does best, which is solve problems, find patterns, identify potentially useful information in your environment to apply to those problems. But if you haven't effectively defined them, then it's going to be really challenging for your mind to do what it does best. Oh, that's interesting. What's an example of a structure that can help you on the the focus problem? One of the practices I really recommend for folks is called establishing challenges. So you need to define your work by establishing challenges. And a challenge is a very specific question that you're trying to answer in the course of your your work or your project. So say you're a web design company, right? A typical project might be design XYZ website. Well, that's not really something your mind can solve. You know, there are a bunch of problems you need to solve in order to actually build XYZ website. You have to decide what is the user interface going to be? You know, what is the look tone feel? What is the copy tone? Um, who is the, who's the, the target audience for this? All of these problems have to be solved and they can be addressed individually. And that's something your mind can actually la- latch onto, right? Your mind can't really relate to design XYZ website or build XYZ website, but it can latch onto those individual problems. And the better you get at focusing on those smaller problems and defining those, parsing those out, the better equipped you're going to be to be able to bring the full bearing of your mind's problem-solving capacity to the work that you're doing. So I would I would really challenge folks, pun intended, I would really challenge them to sit down, look at the projects on their list, their current workload, and parse out specific problems that you're trying to solve as part of those projects so that you, you can begin to work on individual problems versus just staring at concepts all day or just moving your workload from day to day to day without really stepping back to ask, what am I really trying to do as a function of this project? And then you talk about this concept of the big three. Yeah. When you first mentioned the big three in the book, I assumed you were going to talk about a to-do list and these are the big three things on your to-do list, but that's not what you mean. No, it's not at all. As a matter of fact, it's it's kind of the opposite of that. The the big three 
is the list of the three most pressing outstanding problems that you have. So these are the things that are keeping you awake at night, right? And they may not be due for six months or eight months or a year, but they're things that you know you need a creative breakthrough on. So I mentioned earlier that I'm working on my my new book. And my big three has primarily been related to that book for, for the last year. Um, different aspects of the book or different problems I'm trying to solve. But what I do is I write those problems. So once you've broken up your work into challenges, right? Write the three challenges that are most oppressing you right now, the ones that you need traction on and keep them in front of you all the time. Put them on a note card, write them in a notebook, put them on a whiteboard, whatever will keep them in front of you all the time. And this is important because it prompts your mind to be looking for potentially useful information in your environment. You know, our minds tend to remember the things that happened first, primacy, and the things that happened last, recency, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're keeping these things in front of you all the time, your mind is going to be you're, you're, it's basically like priming the pump of a well, right? You're priming your mind to be looking for potentially useful things in your environment that might relate to those problems. And I can't tell you how many people have told me since reading the book, you know what? I wrote my big three out and I was looking at it and five minutes later, I was in a conversation with a friend and we had a breakthrough that we've been looking for for three months, right? Mm -hmm. Simply because they kept those problems in front of them on a consistent basis. So it's similar to... When you, you're, you've decided it's time to, for me to get a new car and you start thinking about what kind of car you want and as you narrow down your range and you kind of think, oh, I'm going to be in this category of cars, family sedans, let's say, and then at some point you say, and I'm going to get, I think I'm going to get a Toyota Camry or maybe a Ford Taurus or something and pretty soon you start Every car you see ends up, you start noticing how many Toyota Camrys are out, are on the road or how many Ford Tauruses. And it's not that the number of those cars has actually changed, but you've got a lot more focus on that and you're noticing those cars. And I guess when it, in, in terms of creativity, your, your brain is going to be noticing things that are relevant to this problem, this challenge that you're working on. And it's going to just give you a lot more opportunities to come up with a solution. That's exactly it's the, that's exactly what it is. Uh, it's it's the exact same phenomenon, as a matter of fact. That makes a lot of sense. There's this part of me that wants to be the be cynical and rebel against what you're saying. Your 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 book is called How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice. You are you're talking to somebody like me who has at any point in time maybe twelve projects going on or twenty, hmm. and you're telling me focus on three challenges. And somehow this is going to help me be brilliant in a moment's notice because at any moment I'm going to walk into a meeting and sit down with a client on one of these 12 projects, let's say. And what if the topic in that meeting is not one of my big three? Yeah, well, that's an absolutely great point. But the reality is that all of the things that I talk about, focus, relationships, energy, stimuli, hours, they all work together, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like if you were relying strictly on that one practice to help you, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, you might be out of luck. But the reality is that if you are structuring your life so that you're monitoring and managing your relationships effectively and leveraging them to keep you outside of yourself instead of falling into yourself all the time, which is what a lot of people tend to do. They tend to become guarded as they become busy. 
Um, if you're managing your energy so that you're focusing on what's most important, if you're building stimuli into your life that is inspiring you and challenging you and, and presenting you with new ideas, if you're managing your hours for effectiveness, not just efficiency, then all of those things tend to work together. Now, is there a formula for creativity? No, absolutely not. Are you going to fail? Yes, yes, you are, right? Are you gonna Are you gonna reach for an idea and not have one? Absolutely, that's gonna happen. What I want to do is encourage you that as you structure your life according to practices that increase your ability, your creative abilities, your capacities, as you structure your life, you will see increasing ability to reach for ideas and find them over time. As you practice, as you build structure into your life, there's no formula. There's nothing you can do to say, oh, I will absolutely be brilliant every time I want to be brilliant. But you can increase your ability to have ideas when you need them if you're intentional about how you structure your life. Well, I totally buy that. I would compare it to weightlifting. I'm I'm doing things in weightlifting that I don't use all the time. And I'm doing leg muscles, mm -hmm. lower body exercises, and upper body exercises. And then I look at the types of things that I do, that I do in in life, or the, the types of athletic events that I use those in, which for me is is triathlons and half marathons. And uh, right. some of the exercises that I'm doing don't necessarily have a specific impact. It's like I have a big three up on my whiteboard; those are my top three challenges. But but this afternoon I'm walking into a meeting on on a, one of my other twelve projects that has nothing to do to do with those big three. But uh, my brain has had the capacity that that I can actually be brilliant. It's not that I've necessarily this isn't one of the three things that I've been thinking about night and day, but I've 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 got I've grown capacity and confidence in my ability to be creative when I need to, and so I'm I'm a lot more confident that I'm going to come up with the good ideas when it when it's necessary. Good, outstanding. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> Well, Todd Henry is the author of The Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice, and the host of the podcast Accidental Creative, and the founder and CEO of a company called Accidental Creative, where he helps creatives and teams to be prolific, brilliant, and healthy. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jesse. All right, leaders, you can learn more about Todd Henry and his firm at accidentalcreative.com. Look for Todd's book, Accidental Creative, How to Be Brilliant at a Moment's Notice, wherever books are sold. We'll also put a link to those resources in our show notes for this episode, which you'll find at engagingleader.com forward slash 28. Don't miss our next episode, 29, when we'll talk about how to use disc profiles in birth order to be an engaging leader. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Siegel, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. <laughs>